my whole brand is sort of built on one print that I made a few years ago that's constantly my bestseller that says it's okay to rest. And it's a reminder to me because I never remember and I use the excuse of, well, I love to paint and I need to paint and that's restful for me. But I also need to just lay down sometimes and rest or read a book and rest. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, Passion Maker. This is Miriam Shulman, your curator of inspiration. And you're listening to episode number 174 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so grateful that you're here. We have a very special episode for you today. Very inspiring to start you off in this new year of 2022. Happy New Year, by the way. So we're talking to one of my artist incubator clients. I know you're going to love his story. He is an expressive floral artist. He focuses on good vibes, the art of living a vibrant, intuitive life, and feelings of gratitude, happiness, and joy. He came to art to help him cope with his mental illness. And in 2021, he left his job as an elementary school teacher to spend more time with his art and his family. So in our discussion, you'll discover how he balances primary caretaking responsibilities with art making, why creating an ideal week and time blocking leads to more productivity and balance, how building massive confidence led him to doubling his prices while still building sales. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Patrick Gaindo. Well, hey there, Patrick. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. All right. Well, Patrick is one of my star artist incubator clients, and I really wanted to bring him on because he has such a great story. Some of it I know and some of it I don't know. So we're going to learn a lot about you today, Patrick. First of all, why don't you tell everybody where you are right now? And if have you always lived in... You haven't always lived where you are now, right? So we we live in Prince Edward Island, which is a teeny tiny little island in Canada on the East Coast. So we moved here in secret a year ago. It was a year ago. A year ago, we were in isolation because we moved during COVID times. It really was the reason we could move. I was working remotely because I have type 1 diabetes and I was a teacher and I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. And we knew we wanted to live out here on the East Coast and specifically in Prince Edward Island. My wife was on mat leave. And so we loaded our four kids up into the car right after we sold the house for an inflated amount of money, <laughs> thanks to the COVID market. And we headed out here to the East Coast. We had no family. We knew one couple who we had met on a beach during a trip. But there is a vibrant art scene and art is deeply valued here. And so I knew this was the place to be. It was always called to us. We visited on our honeymoon. We really wanted to be here. So after eight years of dreaming, we figured we need to stop dreaming. We don't need to wait until we retire to go and do the things that we want to do. So we just did it. I continued to work remotely for the rest of the school year. And then we both resigned from our positions with that school board. And here we are. I'm 
now a, a working artist and stay at home, work from home dad. I'm glad you brought up that you're a work from home dad because, you know, a lot of women listening, you know, assume your wife might be the one doing it. I always used to say, I wish I had a wife. You know? <laughs> and I, I always said that even when I was working full time is like, I would see these husbands, you know, like, where's my wife? I want a wife. My wife works full-time as a teacher. She actually works at our kids' school just down the road, fully 100% supportive of me doing the things that I want to do because she knows that it makes me very happy and it also facilitates my mental health. A few years back, I had a bit of a mental health. I don't know if if I would call it a break, but I had pretty close to a nervous breakdown and was just spinning. And Mm -hmm. after a couple of years of therapy, And this is where the floral art really started to emerge. Because before that, I was just painting whatever. I didn't really understand why people needed a niche and sort of stumbled into my niche of these vibrant florals. And all of that came about after a really difficult period with my mental health. My wife is an incredibly supportive partner and has always pushed me to keep doing it. I remember probably 10 years ago, I felt like I was really sucking at art. Like what I was actually producing was just kind of garbage. And looking back, it it probably was. So you left a job as a teacher. What were you teaching? Were you teaching art? Were you teaching something else? Um, Sometimes I was teaching art. I was teaching elementary school. And in the system that we worked in, I worked in a French immersion school. And there it was set up so that it was half the day was in French. And there were certain subjects that were taught in French. and, And art was one of those. So there would be the odd year where I taught a core class where they only learned English. And so I got to teach them art or where there would be a principal who would look the other way and let the French teacher, who was my partner, and I kind of flip a couple of subjects so I would get to teach art. And so those years were, for me, a lot better because I was able to implement the things that I loved to do. And of course, you can work art into teaching just about anything. Right. Like these are fractions, but really, yes. you know, well, like, let's decorate them. Right. Um, so, there are five petals on this flower <laughs> and each one exactly. is a fifth. <laughs> Exactly. And you know, there's a place for that. But that wasn't as an artist that I felt like my skills were really being wasted. So I was teaching art outside of school privately here and there for small groups. But I I was not professionally teaching art as often as I wanted to. One of the factors that really was pushing me away from from wanting to be in the classroom, there were a million other factors, a lot of it mostly just systematic flaws and issues. And the fact that I just didn't really jive with it anymore. It was an idea that I had in my early 20s that I wanted to be a teacher. And I love teaching and I love so many components of teaching, but I was feeling like they weren't aligning with who I had become and who I was and where I wanted to go in my life. And I knew that when I came home at the end of the day, I was a grumpy dad and a grumpy partner. Mm. No matter how often I would try to get into my little studio in the basement, for me at that point, I was so drained from the day that I struggled to get there. And then the downward spiral of my mental health. I mean, we have so many things, so many different directions we go, but I just need to, we're going to back up even more. Are you trained as an artist? I studied radio and television arts at Ryerson University in Toronto. I am Canadian. So I studied radio and television arts. I focused on production, which for me, it wasn't painting, it wasn't drawing. But what I really understood coming out of that training was composition, because that was what we were working on, how to set things up on a screen so that you could go from shot to shot to shot. I was sketching out, basically, they were like picture book dummies, 
but your thumbnails so that you could direct the different shots and the different segments. So looking back on it now, I realize I had a ton of training, but I'm not, I didn't attend art school. Did you want to attend art school or were you not, had you not discovered your inner artist at that point? I only started calling myself an artist partway into university when I picked up painting again. I had done it in high school, but you know, everyone was in art class and you had to do it. And, and I loved it. I enjoyed doing it. But the idea of art school wasn't even in front of me. I grew up in a small town. Both of my parents worked. My mom worked at Walmart. My dad worked at a factory. We didn't really talk about those things. We did art. We, we made art, but it wasn't like a job. Like I didn't really realize it was a job. Mm. And then as I moved to a bigger city and I started painting, I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I am an artist. I really, I'm really loving this. I, I felt like I was finding myself. I felt like I was finding a voice. I had done art, but I never considered myself an artist. And I think the moment I realized that I could call myself an artist was when I set up my first classroom. It was a grade five class and I had these paintings I had made and I needed to decorate this really ugly portable classroom. It was all you know, beige and, and just terrible. And so I put the paintings up and people came in and started asking, oh, do you do art classes for kids? I have a daughter who's 10 and she would really love some art classes and we can't find anyone. Could you do that? So the next thing I knew I was teaching art classes because I was trained as a teacher. I feel like I kind of stumbled into it. I kind of fell into figuring out that this was what I wanted to be, how I wanted to identify myself and who I, who I really was. And there were ups and downs through, throughout the years where I would think, I'm not an artist. This art is terrible. Even when I look back at sketchbooks from a couple of years ago or a painting from a year ago, I think, oh, what was I thinking? But they're all little steps. They're all little movements. It's flexing your muscle. And thank goodness I carried on. My wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, and I were out for a walk one day and I was really down on myself. And I said, I think I'm going to just be a writer. I'm not going to be an artist. My art is terrible and I just can't do it and it sucks. And she stopped us in the road and she said, no, that's ridiculous. Stop. Just have your fit and move on because you're an artist. You're not going to stop painting. You're not going to stop drawing. Just keep doing it. And she was right. And then you said, will you marry me? And then, yeah. And then, <laughs> right. Or you thought it in your head if you weren't ready to say it yet. <laughs> okay. Who taught you how to paint? You're not a self-taught painter, right? Yeah, I am. Oh, you are completely? Uh, you haven't taken any classes yeah, from anyone? I've never taken any classes. I started painting. I started using acrylic paint when I was about 12 years old because okay. we were watching a lot of Bob Ross because he was on PBS at lunchtime. Then Bob and Ross taught you how to paint. Uh, so I guess Bob Ross kind of taught me how to paint. <laughs> I just carried on from there, high school art classes. And then what really shifted things for me in the last seven years since I had my since we had our first son when we had our first kid, I had also enrolled in an illustration class, like how to illustrate picture books. And I was paired up with some critique partners. And so one of the critique partners and I really hit it off. We continued our relationship after the class. She's trained in art. So I would get tons and tons of very specific focused feedback that she would send me. And I would provide her with feedback, but it was nowhere near the level that she was giving me. I really benefit from this relationship and it's ongoing. We still on a very you know, regular basis, daily, most of the time, send each other work and provide feedback. Getting that kind of in the moment feedback where I can tweak something and, and flip it or just think about it and process it. I see it impact my illustrations for picture books, but I also see it massively impacting my floral work, which she never 
really gives much feedback on the painting. It's usually the, the illustration work, but they really do blend. So when you put them side by side, they don't look alike. But as I'm creating them, I can see the same. I'm using the same skills. I'm using the same shading techniques and the, to pull out texture and just the movement and the composition. I really believe that a lot of that comes from just the consistent regular practice that I've done because I'm, I've been very disciplined. I've become very disciplined. The more children we've had, we have four, the more children we've had, the more disciplined I've become because I became terrified after our second was born that I would lose that part of me. I, mm. I was sitting in a staff meeting one day and a teacher, I showed a teacher an illustration and she said, how do you have time for all this? And I looked at her and I, I said, oh, I just make time. I get up at 5 a.m. And she went, oh, I could never do that. And then carried on with her day. And I realized, oh, my goodness, there are people out there who let go of their passions. I'm a very naive person. So I hadn't really realized it until we had that conversation. And so I didn't want to become that. I didn't want to become a jaded version of myself. I didn't want to exist solely in the universe of my children. My children mean more to me than anything, and they are number one priority. But in order for them to get the best out of me, I have to be putting time into me. And for me to do that, it means I get up at 5 a.m. or I stay up a little bit later or I say, okay, you guys are having pizza tonight and watching a movie. I'm going to go down to the studio for a half an hour, 45 minutes. You know, that's a that's a trade off that my wife and I do regularly. This is a hugely important piece that we're talking about right now. Could you walk through kind of what an ideal week or an ideal day would schedule for you would look like? I mean, not the week where all of a sudden one of the kids has the flu and everything goes to shit. Not that week, but like a regular (laughs) a regular week, how you would manage your time as the dad who's taking the primary caretaking responsibilities and also monetizing your art. So it's the art making, the admin, and the daddy time. So how do you do that? Yeah. So I actually just today, right before our call, I was just working on a new schedule. So I color coded what my schedule looked like. I love that. I felt like for the last couple of weeks, I was, I was missing pieces. I was, you know, letting my, I do have a part-time side job that, you know, gives me a regular income that is flexible and remote. So it means that I also have to be disciplined and make time for that on top of everything else. I'm very fortunate with that position because my employer deeply understands the art side of things and said to me at one point, you are going to make sure you have time to do the art, right? I know from previous jobs that that's not every boss. (laughs) So um, I have an incredible support system around me that allows for all of this to happen. So an ideal day for me, because our Monday to Friday is kind of are quite similar, is that I get up at 5 a.m. and I get up at 5 a.m. to work and our kids stay in bed until about 6.45. The older ones, they wake up, they have lamps in their room and they can read and they just kind of do their thing when they wake up. But they they're know perfect they need to children. Stay in they are so <laughs> Like my kids. Just amazing. <laughs> they are amazing. And there are times where they run out and I had a nightmare and But we are very, very, and we always have been very consistent with that. Both of us being teachers, I think we kind of saw that before we really got started. And we went, okay, we know that these kids who are successful in this way have parents who do these things, and we're going to borrow those now. The sleep habits were huge for us. So I get up at 5, and I've already set my coffee, so it turned on at 4.45. I can smell it when I wake up. It's the only way I get out of bed because I was never, ever, ever a morning person. I'm still not a morning person. 
But I know that I work better on creative things in the morning because nothing else from the day has impacted me. I have pure focus on what I want to make. It's pure joy going in. It's pure focus. It's meditative for me. I can think about whatever. I can listen to a podcast. I can just, you know, zone out and listen to some music while I create some art. And there are days where I'll do writing in that time as well. But I try to stick to that time to be passion project time, things that I'm really excited about. If I have a commission to work on, I'm probably not as excited about the commission because there are specific requirements that need to go into them. So those I save for my work blocks. I'll work for an hour and a half approximately, and then I'll go upstairs and get ready, get the kids ready for school. My wife is, is around, you know, supporting there too. She goes off to work. I get the kids on the bus and then it's me and the three-year-old and the one-year-old. And basically the mornings are just time for us to hang out, play, go on. I call them field trips. We go to the library, we go and run errands. And that's kind of where I sneak some time in as well. If I know I've got an order of prints coming in, they nap in the afternoon. I'm not driving an hour to town. Prince Edward Island is small and there's one city. (laughs) So, you know, you've got to drive to get there. I'm not going to do that during their nap time. So we'll make a morning of it. We'll go and we'll go to the coffee shop. We'll get a treat. We'll do a little bit of shopping. We'll go and buy some new art supplies. My kids are all artists obviously. So, you know, they always want watercolors and paper and notebooks. And so, and I am more than happy to buy that and books for them. You know, we make our mornings count. I steal time in that way, but it's always with the kids and they're involved. They're part of it. We do a lot of painting. We do a lot of messy play. What I'm hoping is that as they get a little bit older, then I will be able to reclaim some of that time where they're working on their stuff and their art, because the three-year-old is very focused on his art, and he'll work for 45 minutes on a piece of art or on a, several pieces of art, as three-year-olds do. So once the one-year-old is a little bit older, then I think I'll be able to reclaim some time to work and to, to do some of that painting. And I think it's incredibly important that they see me doing that. Mm. They learn from it. They learn control. They learn skill. They learn follow through. My seven-year-old would be so frustrated when he was younger about drawing and that it wouldn't work right away. And I would show him as I'm going through, oh, look, this didn't work. I'm going to paint over it. I'm going to draw over it. So just involving them in that for me has been extremely important. I want them to see me doing the things that I love. I don't intend to hide it from them. Right. So at three o'clock, the other two come home, but your wife does too. So yeah. So during nap time, they both nap at the same time. So that's my work time. That's when I sit and write my emails. That's when I go through orders and pack things. That's when I do, if I have a commission I need to work on, or I have a piece that's just, I need more time on it. That's when I'm working on it. And I have certain days throughout the week blocked off where I'm working on my my other job at that time. And then certain days where I'm working on my art business at that time. And time blocking is something we talk about inside the incubator. (laughs) Absolutely. And now I've also time blocked rest, which is new for me because I promote rest. My whole brand is sort of built on one print that I made a few years ago. That's constantly my bestseller that says it's okay to rest. And it's a reminder to me because I never remember. And I use the excuse of, well, I love to paint and I need to paint and that's restful for me. And it is, but I also need to just lay down sometimes and rest or read a book and rest. I've blocked in now time to rest. I'll report back on how that goes. <laughs> when the kids get home, I mean, it's, it's family time. It's, they're running around. We're, I'm 
folding the laundry. I'm getting supper ready or my wife's getting supper ready. We're doing lunches. We kind of trade off on jobs depending on the energy level of each other and how our days went. And because, you know, a day at home with a three-year-old and a one-year-old can be really lovely and fun. And it can also be the reason that I'm bald. Similarly, my wife is teaching in a grade four classroom this year. Those days can be fun and exciting. And also, you know, the reason she's pulling her hair out. So we need, we do trade off for each other. And by the way, I'm completely gray. You don't know because I spend a lot of time coloring my hair, but, but I, <laughs> I have a 21 and a 24 year old. Honestly, <laughs> when my now 21 year old hit 15, I was wishing for those toilet training days to come back because 15 year old boys are just, you wait. Oh, I have four of them. So when they hit puberty, (laughs) it's like, it may not, 15 may not be the magic number, but it's like when they hit puberty, it's like, okay, (laughs) what happened? Where did that cute little boy go? This like rebellious (laughs) man child who's discovered pot all of a sudden, like, what do I do with him? By the way, if you want the same success, I want to make sure you knew about my free masterclass, How to Sell More Art. You don't have to become Insta-famous. During this free masterclass, you'll learn why your success is not measured by your social media following and what is really going to move the needle when it comes to sales and ditch that unnecessary platforms to get more studio time back. Dig deep to go beyond the starving artist's mindset to uncover what's really sabotaging your success. And the best way to grow and nurture an audience full of collectors, not just drive-by commenters. We'll talk about why artists, most artists get stuck when they try to sell their art. I should say the unsuccessful ones get stuck. And my top tip for getting your first sales coming in or your breakthrough to the next income level. We'll go over the five P's from profiting and what you don't need to do. So you'll hear even more inspiring stories of artists who have built a sustainable income selling their art. You want to see how they did it. And many more bullet points, too many to rattle off right now. So to choose your showtime, go to shulmanart.com dot com forward slash sell more art. And now back to the show. You have the 90 minute block in the morning of art making family time. The school day is the morning part is incorporate the kids into the errands. Mm-hmm. Nap time is admin time. That's then you right. have family time with dinner. And do you do work after dinner too? Or are you able to, to rest then? So I work some nights. It depends on what, what I'm needing to do or what I'm forecasting I'll need to do. So I've been planning out by quarter. And then right now I'm planning out my, my big goals for 2022. On Prince Edward Island, it's a tourist area. And so there are parts of the spring and summer And then right before the Christmas season starts, where we're all of the makers and all of the artisans and artists are busy putting things together, running to print shops, delivering things out to shops, trying to make sure everybody gets everything on time so that the stores can have things ready to go. And so I really would prefer to do anything other than run a delivery out to a shop that is open for some kind of odd hours, but they want to carry some of my prints. So I'm going to bring it out to them because that's what I do. That's what you do. You promote yourself and you follow through and you have integrity. That's how I believe a business runs. So 
that's important to me that even though I don't feel like doing it, I'm still going to do it. There are weeks where I'm kind of running around making sure things are done on time and that's taking into evenings. There are other seasons where my paying job requires more from me. When you discovered me, you were part of that great resignation. Economists are calling it now the great resignation of 2021. And I was predict, this is like, I sound like my husband now. I was predicting this. So, no, but I was because like, I, I quit my job in the wake of 9-11. And I knew that this was a similar time. And there's nothing like a crisis to lift a veil on like, okay, what do I really want from my life? Four million people voluntarily left their jobs this year. I think it might might be more. It might be four million in the U.S. I don't I don't know what Department of Labor comes up with these numbers, and I don't have the research in front of me. But you're calling it the Great Resignation for a reason, and you were part of that. So tell us what you were doing before you found me. Obviously, you don't sign up for a program if everything's going great and wonderfully. So take us back to before you joined the incubator. What your art business was like. Well, it wasn't really. It was fledgling. It was basically me throwing arrows in the dark. It was me saying, I have an idea for this. I have an idea for that. I, have I had a lot of ideas. I have notebook upon notebook upon notebook of ideas. And I didn't know how to implement them. And I was growing more and more frustrated when I purchased the Artist Incubator. You invested I, in it. When I invested, when I invested <laughs> in the Artist Incubator. When you invested in yourself, right? That's right. When I invested in myself via the artist incubator, uh, <laughs> I was lost. I, I just needed some kind of guidance. I needed something to give me either a structure or an idea of how to approach things, how to follow through with things, how to price things. I had no idea how to price things. I was pulling numbers out of thin air. I didn't know what to do, basically. I was selling art. I mean, I've sold little pieces of art here and there and some commissions. And for a while, they were random. And then nervous breakdown. Suddenly, I'm making beautiful, joyful <laughs> flowers and people are resonating with them. And at that point, sales did start to increase, but it was unpredictable. I mean, no nothing is ever entirely predictable when it sails, but it was going up and down, up and down. And There's I had no, no pattern or rhythm to it yet. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just didn't know what to do. I knew I wanted to branch off into wholesale because we had moved to this island with all these shops that, you know, would take in cards and prints and art and display the original art. And as soon as we arrived, people started reaching out to me asking, oh, can we carry your stuff? Can we get your paintings in here? And I wanted to say yes so badly. And I had no idea how to do any of it. I needed some systems. I needed some structure. And what the artist incubator did more, I've, I, there was so much value to it more than anything else that I needed was throughout weaved throughout the artist incubator program is the whole notion of your confidence as an artist and your ability to sell yourself. And I don't mean that in a smarmy way whatsoever, yeah. but you know, when, now when I talk to people, I say, oh, I'm Patrick. I'm an artist. Yeah. I don't say, oh, and I have this other side job that pays for my consistent bills or... It's not the other way around. It's not like, and I don't know what your, your side job is, but it's not like I'm an accountant who paints on the side. You're now like, I'm a painter who accountants on the side or whatever that side. Exactly. Now, I'm definitely not an accountant, right. um, but... <laughs> <laughs> and what's really nice actually is that that job is... So I'm a coach and content producer for 
writers who are learning to pitch their books. And what that allows me to do is really just continue to talk about the things that I already am passionate about and knowledgeable about. You know, it's not that big of a trade-off when I'm when I'm going into that mode for for work time. But when I started really digging into the artist incubator, what changed for me was how I talked about myself, how I priced my art. And the strangest part of that is when I would look at the pricing of my art before, and it was too low and it wasn't moving. <laughs> and then I increased the price for some reason, this whole psychological thing. The art looked so much better to me and I was so much more proud of it. I was so much more proud to say, yes, this piece of art is this much money. How would you like to pay for it? <laughs> Rather than like we can split payments or, you know, oh, I have something smaller. Let me downsell you on this. Like I, I don't downsell anymore. This is my art. This is what I make. Take it or leave it. If you love what I offer, then that's fantastic. And I'm super happy to work with you. And if not, then that's fantastic too. And that's it. Yeah. You're not for everyone. So yeah. you need to understand that. Because nothing, nothing is for everyone. Absolutely. And I just, I wanted to be for everyone because I have always been a people pleaser. Leaving my job, that was very safe. And I made a lot of money every year. And I had excellent benefits and an incredible retirement savings program. And I don't have that stuff now. But I'm very much on a clear path where I'm going to be, well, I am just fine. I'm perfectly comfortable and much happier. And I really do believe that all of that comes from the learning that I've taken out of this program, as well as the community that stems from it. Book group, and then outside of there, the connections that have been made with those people in that group. Yeah, there's a lot of friendships that continue on even beyond the program like they write to me they're still getting together and I'm like without me (laughs) it's like you do that Uh, no I'm very happy about that so one of the things that I wanted to make sure that you share because I've seen this tremendous growth in the way you show up on your emails and in social media and I, I know part of this is basically the way I'm going to put it is that you have the confidence now to be vulnerable so I don't know what you were like before but I don't know if you would have had the confidence to come talk to, by the way, thousands of people about your, your mental health, you know, on a podcast, but all these things that you talk about, you know, your feminine side as being the caretaker as the dad, your mental health, all these things that you talk about now as part of being an artist, I've seen tremendous growth in you. Would you like to say more about that, Patrick? Trying to find my words. The confidence that's grown from this and in just simply being able to say, hey, this is who I am. This is my art, which I was doing on a small scale, but I was not diving as deeply into it. And when I started to, because I was emailing more because of the incubator program, I started emailing more regularly as in weekly. Which was bothering people. You're bothering really people for that idea that I was bothering everyone. And sure, people unsubscribe. And at first I was a little sad. That's my ego and I've moved forward. But people are unsubscribing if they're not the right people for me. And that's excellent because I don't really want those people on my list. The people who respond to me and tell me, thank you for showing up for us. Word for word, I've received that email. This is so inspiring. You've really hit on something that I've been struggling with or the most vulnerable, deepest, most specific emails to my own experience and posts to my own experience have been the ones that have resonated the most with people, which has absolutely shocked me because 
I just assumed that everybody wants to hear about themselves and not about me, which is true, but I've learned how to write that in a way that I think they can see themselves in those positions or they're seeing something that they want to see in themselves. And I can recognize that now looking back. I had no idea that's what I was doing when I was doing it. But when I, when I show up to my social media or my email and I'm practicing those, those longer bouts of words that are, you know, talking about my experience as a man who doesn't fit being a man, though I identify as a man and going into an extremely popular and very busy downtown cafe and bistro and putting up an exhibit of paintings. Essentially, they're me. If I stand next to them, they're me with a flower beard and with a flower crown and you know, talking to people about what that means. I don't think I could have done that before, but I really don't, it's going to sound rude and like I'm a teenager, but I I don't care. I don't really care what people think of that because I know so much more deeply who I am and what matters to me. And I can speak to it. I have words for it and I have words for it because I've written all those emails. I've written all those posts and I found my, I'm a writer. So that's how I find my words. But I, I don't start with those words. I started with the paintings. It all kind of circles and swims together and, and comes back into one. But essentially, having the confidence to first call myself an artist professionally has changed absolutely everything. Having the confidence to start emailing people, even when some of those people unsubscribe, has changed how I interact with my audience. It's changed how I interact with my art. It's changed how I talk about my art. It's taught me different ways to position art through words and how I sell them in the emails. It doesn't feel like selling because I'm only selling to someone if they're interested. So otherwise, I want them to be able to get a good story out of it or to get some pleasure from just looking at a photo of it in my email. I think that it all kind of circles back to that confidence in a very deep way. I've always talked about confidence. I've read all the Brene Brown books. I've read, you know, I've done all the soul searching. I've done tons and tons of soul and heart work through the years. And so when I jumped and left my safe career into this unknown territory, which has been, you know, terrifying at times and exciting at times. And like, what did I do at times? It all just sort of opened things up so that I could take that confidence And I don't think I would have. I think I'd still be kind of shooting arrows in the dark Mm. if I hadn't enrolled in the in the incubator program because I needed something firm to dig into. Now, I know this, but our listeners haven't heard you say this yet. All this confidence has translated into lots of sales for you at these higher prices. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah. So I've raised my prices. I've emailed people more often. And I have increased how often I'm painting because the actual production and practice is so important. And that has all translated into money. And that money means that I can buy more supplies. I can buy better, you know, levels in my email software. I can invest in myself. I can pay myself. Yeah, we wanted (laughs) to hear that too, right? It's not just, this is not about an expensive hobby. No, it's not about an expensive hobby. It's, it's been life changing because, you know, I look back at my earnings from last year and from the year before, and they doubled from last year. And I mean, it's not, I'm not ready to leave my side job, you know, my little thing that helps me out sometimes. But I am very confident that in a couple of years of growth and learning, 
I will absolutely be 100% earning my income through my art. Now, I've been in the program since May. It's December. I don't know how many months that is. I haven't taught math in a long time, but... (laughs) I can do math. It's seven months or six months. Yeah. (laughs) The shift in that little amount of time has been... It doesn't even really make sense for me. I can't really quite grasp it. And now I break my income into a spreadsheet and I track my expenses and everything. Everything is is hyper-organized because I'm very distracted very easily. So I need really good systems in place. And when I look at that, the majority of my earnings come from originals and commissions. The smallest amount that I make is from sales through my website. The middle guy is, is through wholesale. Those wholesales are happening only because of relationships that I have fostered with real life humans by going into stores and talking to them. I never would have done that before. I am extremely introverted. I know I talk a lot. I seem outgoing to people when they get to know me. I'm introverted too. And people don't understand when they hear someone like you, Patrick, or me, and we're all animated. What you have to understand is we're inside our houses right now. Like I'm in my house and Patrick is inside his house. So we're like very comfortable. He doesn't see all you guys out there. He just sees me. So like (laughs) we can be famous without leaving our house. It's awesome. I don't even like calling for pizza. So like I'm I'm that extreme. (laughs) Phone phobia. You know, there's anxiety there and whatever. But I have found the confidence to say, I'm going to go in and I'm going to bring some of my prints and cards or and a couple of originals, some smalls. And uh, I'm going to show them and I'm going to say, hi, I'm Patrick and this is what I make. Is there a great way to reach you with my catalog? Or can I give you this uh, link? Or, you know, are you interested in this? Does this fit the aesthetic of your, do you feel this fits the aesthetic of your store? Because you don't fit in every shop. No. You know, one of my favorite shops, I don't fit there and that's okay. And sometimes you kind of do have to take a chance if you feel you're a little bit outside because sometimes they are looking for something a little different than what they already have. So it's okay to take that risk sometimes. If they already had a a floral painter, Patrick does a lot of like pinks and and jewel tones. Like they may say, oh, you're great. You fit in, but we already have, you know, Susan already does that. They don't want to compete against themselves. Yeah. To jump from that point, when I started going into shops this spring, I would bring some examples and I was terrified because everything was very white Mm. and minimalist and things that I love. And I would love, uh, you know, we have up in our home, but I just don't paint that way. And I can't find a way to paint that way. And I decided a while ago that I'm just not going to, because that's not who, that's not my voice. That's not who I am as an artist. The response typically was, oh, it's so colorful and joyful and we need this. And so they would put it up on the wall. Great. And you're absolutely right. The one I was referring to, they just don't want to carry me. And that's fine too. That's I mean, also like, fine, right. You get no's and that's fine. You're going to get no's from customers, from shops. I'll show my wife things and she'll say, oh, I don't know about that. I think you need to work on it a little bit more. So, you know, you can get no's from everyone and and it takes a long time to build that thick skin, but it does come if you focus if you focus on where you're going and you follow that path and you stick to your the outcome that you want. I love this. Okay, you've been so inspiring today, Patrick. And if you've been inspired by what he had to say, go say hello to Patrick on Instagram. So his handle is at Patrick Gaindo. Did I say that right? Oh my gosh. You're pretty close. No, Gaindo. you know, I think I did the accent wrong. Is it Gaindo or Gaindo? That's number two. <laughs> okay, Patrick Gaindo. <laughs> Terrible pronouncing things. <laughs> and it's actually Patrick Gaindo Art 
That's right. All right. And we got to spell it because it's not spell. It's spelled the way it's pronounced. So Patrick, you, you, you spell it, please. I'm afraid I'll I screw up. P A. No, they know how to spell Patrick. Some people don't. You'd be surprised. That with a K is what I get a lot. Yeah. Although maybe it's just French communities around here. Oh. Gaino is the French last name. I don't really speak French, but my wife does. So Gaino is spelled G U I N. D-O-N. And then don't forget to add the art at the end. We've included links to all the places in the show notes at shulmanart.com forward slash 174. And don't forget, if you liked this episode, you'll have to check out my free masterclass. If you want to have the same success as Patrick and double your prices and sell more art and build massive confidence along the way, go to shulmanart.com forward slash sell more art. All right, Patrick, do you have any last words for our listeners before we call this podcast complete? Yeah, I would love to encourage everybody who says they're not a morning person to try a week or two weeks where you set the coffee before you go to bed, you set an alarm, you either put your clothes out before you go to bed so you're ready to go and then you jump out of bed in the morning when the alarm goes and just get your butt to the studio or to the table or to wherever it is that you need to go to do the thing that you want to do so you can do it with an uninterrupted mind because it's going to change your life. Change mine. I love that. How do you take your coffee, by the way? <laughs> uh, two creams and two sweeteners. I love I that. Okay. <laughs> Sweet tooth. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being with me here today. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Stay inspired. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com. 